Hello, and welcome to the PropCast, the official propeller podcast where we give our listeners an insight into the world of healthcare marketing, innovation technology, social trends, and more. It's where we turn talk into action. Here you'll meet the thought leaders behind our work and those that influence it. I'm Michael Meyer, VP and Creative Director of Moving Image, and I'm glad you joined us. You know, in 2023, we had fun and insightful conversations around innovation, execution, and creativity in the healthcare marketing space. And now I am really excited for all the great guests and great content that we have planned in 2024. Thus, it is very apropos that we talk about the future. The future of tech that was revealed at the 2024 CES show with Omnicom Health Group's very own Adam Housley. Adam is the Vice President of Digital Innovation at Omnicom Health Group, where he spearheads collaboration among agencies to meet client challenges with cutting-edge digital solutions. He leads Digital Fusion, OHG's interagency innovation hub, facilitating cross-agency initiatives that drive innovation through events, partnerships, and trend analysis. With a diverse background in educational leadership and digital marketing, Adam combines strategic insight with a passion for community engagement to inspire change within the healthcare marketing landscape. Adam is just a wealth of information and insight. I think you'll really enjoy his take on CES. So without further delay, here's our conversation with Adam Housley. All right, Adam Housley, welcome to the PropCast. Hey, Michael, excited to be here and, and unpack everything we experienced at CES. As I mentioned in the intro, a cool way to start 2024 is to look to the future. And the way we're going to do that is by talking about what you saw at your visit to CES this year. For those who don't know what CES is, if you can please just kind of explain what it is. Yeah, of course. So CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. It's probably the largest show of the type, certainly largest in the U.S. It's always held in January and it's always held in Las Vegas. It's huge. I mean, it's it's sprawling like everything in Vegas. Uh, over 4,000 vendors. I think they said 135,000 attendees this year. It's definitely all of the stuff. It's all the devices, all of the things, products. Whereas South by Southwest tends to be more experiential. CES is, is definitely more of products, the outputs, and it runs the gamut of industries, everything from beauty to media to, you know, obviously all the TV screens you see there to full spectrum of industries. You know, the thing I, I love about CES and the thing I, I dislike about CES as a tech person, I love hearing and seeing all the new stuff that's coming out. But then also as a consumer, if I've just bought that incredible TV and then I see, well, oh no, they've made it even better. You're like, oh, I should have just waited a yeah, you can definitely get a, a little bit of purchase regret uh, going on when you walk around and you see. Although when you look up some of the prices afterwards, you might not feel so bad about what you just bought. Good point. Good point. There's definitely a mix between what will be available in the near future and prototypes or concepts of what is actually possible that you may not see for years and years and years. How do you discern and analyze that as you walk throughout the floor? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, especially when you're talking in the medical pharma space, you definitely have to ask those questions. Is this FDA approved? Do you have, you know, case studies to back it up? A lot of times with the more consumer facing electronic devices like 
headphones or, you know, haptic wear, things like that, they will disclose if there's a product timeline, if it's in market now, they're not necessarily things for sale on the floor. So let's dig in. What were some of the trends that you saw this year when it came to both the healthcare sector and consumer? There was an Omnicom report that came out recently on CES, and they, they talked about this shift from AI everywhere to AI anywhere. And I think that was definitely, for me, kind of the overarching theme of the show. And last year was my first time to attend, and it just seemed like everybody was advertising AI on board, especially in the digital health space. And this year, what we saw were these AI devices talking to each other. If you think about smart devices and what happened when Wi-Fi came into our homes, all of a sudden we had all these smart devices. And a refrigerator that was smart was connected to the internet. And a lot of us were like, well, why do I need that? I saw in some ways this year was AI making sense of that. It's enabling these smart devices to communicate with each other. So now your smart refrigerator can tell you what you need to add to your grocery list. And there's some convenience to that, right? Uh, we'll talk more about this a little bit later, but we see it turning a one device into another device because it's got technology on board that can suddenly be used for a different purpose. So that was one thing. I definitely saw devices that were doing some mental health screenings this year, you know, not diagnosing anybody yet. Nobody's moving into that space, but just a shift in things that can track physical health vitals to things that can also track and assess your mental health, you know, and we're seeing that prior to CES, just within the rise of, you know, mental health apps that tell you, hey, let's take a break here and meditate for 15 minutes. But we're starting to see devices that are recommending that as well. Obviously, screens were everywhere. Big splashes with transparent TVs from LG and Samsung. But I would say as one just walking the floor and looking at, you know, things for booth designs, things we do for our clients, lots of LED and LCD screens built into the booth. So not just hanging on a wall to communicate information, but actually used as a wrapper for a booth as an engagement you know tool so lots of screens that stood out to me this year and then I, I noticed there were a lot of nostalgia retro tech things that kind of blend old technology with new innovations I think that's interesting I think all of us are becoming increasingly aware of the technology in our lives and how it's kind of invading that space and so it's interesting to see this old new tech kind of mashup and what that means that's interesting is it is it almost like a trick to make you feel more comfortable with the new tech, the new features that you might normally be maybe fearful of. Yeah, you know, one of them I, I think speaks to that well was Clicks for iPhone. And it's basically a BlackBerry keyboard phone case that does make your device longer, but it gives you that tangible keyboard on your phone, which is just really interesting. Like, why do I need that? Do I want that? There's some built-in functionality with some of the keyboards, some hotkeys, if you will. Yep. Those BlackBerry folks just won't go away. Exactly. Experiential tech is also a hot item. What were some exciting things you saw in that space out on the floor? So SK's Wonderland experience was probably everybody's favorite at CES. It was not your traditional walk in and see our products or our solutions. Let me tell you about them. It was a full on theme park experience. From the moment you walked in, you were handed a card, you were greeted and you had a map to kind of walk through everything. It was like a mini version of a major theme park, complete with a Las Vegas sphere of sorts, not to the scale that you see on the strip, but 
same technology and equally as exciting. You could take a train ride and it took you through a tunnel that was lined with screens again that showcased various scenes. They had a flying carpet ride that actually had reservations booked days in advance. And all of this was about experience and very little about their solutions, but it did highlight some of the sustainability technology that they have in play. But their whole goal was to give you an experience. Very cool. Can you talk a little bit about how AI showed up this year and what the more practical applications look like? I think a great example of that is Samsung has released a new version of their home AI ecosystem hub, if you will. It's called Smart Things. But they had an example where they had a fall detection sensor that was plugged into the room that would help determine if someone had fallen. Think about, um, you know, an elderly person trying to age in their home longer. It's a great comfort to have. But they also have a smart vacuum that they released. And that vacuum has a camera on it, right? So in addition to being a functional vacuum, when that fall detection system detects a fall and the person doesn't respond to the notification on their device, the, the home AI hub can trigger the vacuum to go to that location. And because it's got a, a LiDAR map of your home, it can go to that location and see if in fact someone has fallen. So you see these, again, smart devices being connected that previously we weren't able to do. And now we've turned a vacuum into a first responder just because it had the tech on board to be able to do that. It needed it as a vacuum cleaner, but now we can leverage it in a different capacity. And that's happening as a result of the AI technology that we're able to put in place. And that's amazing. I mean, it's like the next evolution of I've fallen and I can't get up right? That device, it really hits a great market, right? We are more and more caring for our parents, for the elderly. Can you speak to that space now and how companies are addressing that? Yeah, I think it's a great uh, conversation because who do you market that to if you're the brand, right? Are you marketing it to the caregivers, which are you know, probably children that are not caring for their parents, or do you market it to the actual parent that's trying to age in their home? I think that's a great question. And, you know, I think you can make a case for both. You know, when you look at the, the smart home and you look at these devices, I think brands definitely have to consider there's two audiences you're potentially marketing to, right? There's the, the parent that's living in the home. And I was reading an article last week that people over 70 hold 30% of the country's wealth. So there's definitely income there that could, that could be spent to purchase these devices. However, if we're playing stereotypes, we would think that our you know, the older population is probably less informed on these devices and their capabilities and maybe less inclined to purchase. Why do I need a smart vacuum? And then you have the other side of it, which are kids that are now taking care of their parents. They're not kids. They're, they're adults, right? They're established they're in their careers, and yet they're having to care for their parents. Many of them probably have to do that from a distance or at least have are spending less time with their parents than they would probably prefer to. And, and so these devices are attractive to them because they offer peace of mind. In some cases, they offer remote you know, monitoring capabilities. So it's a really interesting dynamic from a marketing perspective. It is. And, and, and I can just imagine the conversation. Like, I think it's a great idea. I would totally be into something like that. But then I imagine the phone call I get is like, Michael, I can't get this vacuum to work through that conversation. But conceptually, love the idea. I love the idea. 100%. What other practical applications did you see out on the floor? Hey, you know, one of the other things we're starting to see with 
with AI is its ability to create these invisible tech experiences. There's an e-bike that has ChatGPT built into it, but they have a smart ring that it can also be paired with. And so the the e-bike is automatically connecting to your smart ring and it's deciding how much assistance to give you as you're pedaling your way to work based on your vitals that it's seeing. So if you're having a slower morning, maybe you didn't get as much sleep last night, it's going to give you more assistance as opposed to you got a, a good night's sleep, you're awake and alert, and it, then it's going to let you take on more of, of the pedaling experience to get to work. And so I think that's really fascinating because we start to see AI being able to anticipate our needs if we want it to. There were a number of smart mirrors that were available to see at CES this year. And I think they were different in, in a couple aspects. The first is that they're also assessing your mental health, which we talked about earlier, and they're interacting with you. They're leveraging ChatGPT to pose questions to you or to show you images and let you respond to them to assess your mental well-being. But they're also using AI to basically do a pixel scan of your face and recognize your health vitals. So blood pressure, heart rate, which is different. Normally that's coming through, you know, some kind of a sensor through a smartwatch or something that, you know, we're, we're taking a, a pulse check through a, a finger pressure device. Now we're able to just do that visually. There was actually a telehealth company that was doing that just using your webcam. They were assessing your vitals through through that way. So starting to see the, the camera integrate itself into the mirror, which raises a lot of questions, right? It's, it's really interesting, but I don't necessarily want a, a camera in my mirror in my bathroom while I'm getting ready in the morning. That speaks to the issue and, and, and the evidence that, you know, AI seems to be getting smarter and smarter, but it's also becoming more intrusive. What's the reaction of consumers towards this type of tech and towards this type of AI. And how how do we find that balance between that intrusive nature and these incredible insights and incredible technology that we're getting from these new tools? Well, I think that's a great question. And I don't think it's one that we've answered yet, especially when we're talking about, you know, the inclusion of generative AI and some of these tools and the ability to hallucinate, right? There's a lot of negative press out there that I think brands have to consider when they're engaging with these types of solutions and, and what they look like. You know, the best path forward in terms of adoption of some of these things is going to be making a really strong case for them. You know, we talked about a caregiver having access to information on, you know, an aging parent or somebody that's, you know, obviously sick and they're not physically able to be there. We like that as the caregiver, that access to information is important. You know, if we flip the script on it and say, it's my teenage daughter, no, I don't like that. I don't need, you know, it's not a need. So I think it, it's on brands to create, to tell that story and make the case for that. We have to understand where it fits in in the journey, whether that's the, you know, the buyer journey or the patient journey. We have to understand where it fits in and really make a strong case for that. Mm -hmm. Do you think the mirror concept is more what we talked about before? Just we can do this thing. It's a prototype as a concept rather than like an actual thing that you are going to buy in the next year or so. I think it's available for purchase now, but I don't think we're going to see a mass adoption of that. I, I think it's, um, I think it's a little bit too advanced for uh, the comfort of you know the typical consumer. 
some of that same technology we see in those smart mirrors can be applicable to a telehealth visit. If we can assess your vitals just by taking a scan of your face. And I think some of that is, is goes back to your original question. How do you tell if it's ready for market yet? I don't know that that technology was FDA approved. I think they were taking an assessment of your photo and comparing it to the model that they had and making an implication based on that, right? So that probably doesn't hold up in a true medical instance, although I think they're starting to make the case that it can and, and time will tell. So we also saw other devices like the Withings BMO that got a lot of press and it's just a device that you hold in your hand and it can take your primary vitals. It can send that to your phone. It can be shared with a caregiver or your primary physician on a telehealth visit call. I know I've done several telehealth visits myself with my family. My own daughter, when we've done visits, I know she has strep throat because she gets it often. I know what the symptoms look like and I, I don't necessarily need to go into a doctor to have that diagnosed, or at least that's my perception. If I had this device at home to be able to send that stuff in, send over those vitals to the doctor, that's incredibly convenient. Where we're starting to see some traction, I think this year was in the Eureka Park at CES, which is where a lot of the startups go. It's a lot of the companies that are maybe not into market yet, but they're looking for backing, they're looking for funding. We're starting to see some devices that get below the skin, if you will, and that are very disease specific. That's really interesting because I think most of us would be okay with the telehealth visit. We're just a, you know, a standard cold, but we want to see our oncologist in person. We don't want to necessarily do that remotely. I imagine that there was tech that was very specific to certain conditions. What did you see that was exciting from that perspective? We saw a device that was for people who didn't know when they needed to go to the bathroom. So a neurological condition or they had a spinal cord injury that prevented them from being aware of that. It's basically a, a radar camera on your bladder and it can notify you on your smart on your phone that it was time to go to the bathroom, that your bladder was basically filling up and you should go to the bathroom. That's really powerful technology for those people, right? They don't necessarily have to wear adult diapers anymore. There's data that goes along with that that could be passed along to a doctor. And so the ability to pass along some of that data to a doctor in advance of a visit, but it starts to impact the time we have with the doctors, right? They come in with a lot more information and we can really visit about what's going on. That is just an amazing piece of tech. And it you know kind of reminds me a little bit of some of the tech that's out there for diabetics, right? Especially when it comes to kids. I may not be sure what's going on with my body and it and I can, I can be alerted. I can know in advance so I can take care of it at the moment. I mean, that must be so comforting to that person. Right. It's that peace of mind, right? And I think what we're also seeing with, or I hope what we're going to see with this data that we're able to get and you know pull into a smartphone is the ability to share it for a limited time. I think where AI offers some additional promise is if it's it's got access to that information over a period of time, it should be able to help us understand when problems may be coming down the road. Right, the larger picture. Yes, which is not something we've been able to do in the past. And I think AI offers, because of its ability to quickly assess large amounts of data, it offers us some of that promise moving forward.
Speaking of promising, there seems to be a lot to get excited about in the assistive technology space. I saw a number of uh, devices that were aimed at improving hearing, um, but it wasn't a typical hearing aid. They were glasses, and the glasses just had the the speaker built into it. And again, that's AI on board. And, and I think it was moderate hearing loss, but people who don't yet want to wear hearing aids could put these glasses on and have you know very active conversations. There was a product called Wisp, which was for people that have voice loss, or for some reason it's hard for them to communicate, maybe in loud situations. And it was a device that they could speak into and, and it would amplify their voice. Probably most impressive, at least to me, were some of these translation devices. There were a number of earbuds that would, in real time, live, translate what you were hearing in your language. So you and I could be speaking different foreign languages that we don't understand. And with these devices, we were able to do that. There was a time kettle had a device there that enabled, I think, up to 20 people to talk to each other in five different languages and all understand each other in real time. Very cool. Yeah, it was very cool technology connecting us in new ways that we, that we haven't been able to before. So you start to see accessibility is not just for these marginalized experiences, but it's for everyone. It's really democratizing our experiences. It's such an exciting time. All, all these things are coming out. What's that one device that's going to be able to tap into all these experiences and all these products you know, without us having to carry around a book bag for all our stuff? You know, I think for me, it was less about one thing and more about like putting it all together. And when you when you put it all together and you start to get this idea of how it could all work and how it could really change things. So I didn't see a lot of headsets and devices there. Yes, there's a lot of talk about the Apple headset, but you know that's still big and, and, and clunky, right? But you start to get a sense of what it could be if it was just glasses. When we talk about the, the hearing device that we just talked about, well, now we have glasses with speakers on board, right? And so now we can hear what other people are saying to us. So maybe we don't even need headphones in our ears anymore. And you have a smartwatch that can track those vitals and can track your movement and can be that GPS. And so when you can sync all those together, which is what we started to see with the Samsung Smart Hub, we've got you know vacuum cleaners that are talking. And so you start to see all these devices coming together through AI and work in unison to each other. And that's really exciting to know that you know, over time, inevitably, these devices are going to get smaller, they're going to get faster, and you know that that's pretty exciting if, if you love technology. Before we wrap up, what was like your favorite innovation that you saw? Does it have to be health-related? I think my favorite tech that I saw was LG's Dukebox, which was a modern take on the old-style jukebox. Not so much in, in how it looked, but just in how it functioned. It definitely had a transparent screen. It definitely had the old school vacuum tube technology that you used to see in receivers, but it was not playing vinyl records or eight tracks. It was it was just streaming your Spotify or Apple Music songs. But it just had this nod of, you know, vintage with uh, the mashup of the current technologies we saw. I just really enjoyed it. Very cool. So we're getting to know you a little bit. We now we know that, you know, music is a big part of your life. Let's get into what I call the three O's. I want to know, one, what you're obsessed with, two, what you're totally over, and three, what you're on the fence about, and maybe I can help you land either way. So, Adam, what are you obsessed with? 
You know, I have to say right now, of late, I've been very obsessed with audiobooks. I used to teach English, which would make you think that I was an avid reader, but I'm actually a horribly slow reader. And so audiobooks have been a, a great solution for me. I seem to be a better audio processor. And you know, I think last year I read like 55 books, which is a lot for me. I don't know what it is for, for other people, but you get a lot of reading done in the car or mowing the yard or taking care of the honeydew list. So I, I'm loving audiobooks. I'm a big reader. I have not gotten there yet. I need to read off the page. So the Kindle for me is like the greatest thing. I, a, I can carry around all the books I'm reading. I usually flip between books. Where I found the audiobooks helpful for me is not for fiction, but for nonfiction. If I'm reading fiction, I really need to read the the, the words and see it on the page. Yeah. I mean, whatever works, right? I, I think we're all better when we're reading. So whether it's tangible physical books or it's digital books or it's audio books, I, th I think we probably all benefit from it. All right, Adam, what are you over? I'm a big college football fan and I'm, I'm over the portal. I'm over the transfer portal. I think it's just diluting the game. I mean, college sports is broken, I think, in general. And we can talk about this for hours. Um, but certainly, you know, the one and done's in, in basketball, I thought that was the biggest sign of it being broken. Yeah. You know, and it's hard. Like I feel for the athletes that aren't getting the playing time that maybe they thought they would, but I, it just makes it hard to build affinity for players and, and for your team. But yeah, right now I'm just, I'm over it. I hear you. What are you on the fence about? And maybe I can help you make a decision. I'm on the fence about the pellet grills. I, I love to grill. I love to spend the day on the back porch with the grill. And I've got a charcoal smoker, but these pellet grills offer some real convenience, but I just can't quite pull the trigger yet. So you've spoken my language for all three of these. I'm a big reader. I'm a huge sports guy and I love barbecue and I have a drum smoker. While I feel like the art of grilling and smoking should be at its most basic, I feel like the pellet is the way to go. I think just for the convenience of it, to know you're locked in at what temperature, I say go with the pellet, drop whatever you need to, to make it happen. And I think your grilling smoking life will be so much better. Why can't I just have the best of both? Why can't I keep both? And my wife keeps reminding me that we don't have the physical space on the patio to have both. And, and I keep saying, I, I will find a way to make it work, but I'm not, I'm not winning that battle. So Adam, you were an amazing guest. Thank you so much for joining. Before we sign off, where can people find you? Any plugs that you have? Yeah, probably best place to find me would be on LinkedIn. I uh, spend a lot of time on LinkedIn connecting with you know, other colleagues and, and other businesses. So that's where I tend to be most active. Yep. Adam provides amazing content. Definitely connect. Uh, he's an amazing resource. Adam, thank you for being on the podcast, and uh, we'll, we'll get you back on soon. Thanks, Michael. Really appreciate it. Love working with the Propeller team. You guys are great innovators and uh, excited to continue to partner with you guys. Thank you again for joining PropCast. Please tune in next time for another fascinating conversation. In the meantime, for more valuable insight and information, please visit us on healthcaretrendsreport.com. Follow us at Propeller.com, that's with two M's on Instagram. And certainly please subscribe to this podcast so you get a nice little audio gift in your podcast folder every time we release a new episode. Thanks for joining everyone. Speak to you real soon.